0: You want to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to John chapter 11. We'll continue our study through this chapter. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 27 this morning. And as we've come to John chapter 11, we've come to the final climactic sign in John's Gospel. For those of you that have been with us, we've seen six prior signs in John's gospel, including the multiplication of bread to feed the thousands. We've seen the healing of the lame man. We've seen all these different signs in John's gospel, and we've looked at how these signs are not meant to terminate on themselves, but they're meant to point us to something higher and greater than themselves, namely the person and work of Christ. And John has been working his way to this seventh and final sign, this kind of number of completion in John's gospel, the seventh climactic sign of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This great sign of resurrection, Um, as a picture and a foreshadowing not only of Christ's coming resurrection at the end of John's Gospel, but also the spiritual resurrection of believers and our future bodily resurrection as we'll look at and learn more about today. But John 11 is kind of interesting. If you remember in a lot of the other chapters, Jesus will perform a sign and then he will discuss and interact with different people. But in John 11, it's kind of flipped a little bit. John shows us that Jesus in John 11 first speaks and then performs this sign. And last time we spoke about this idea of suffering and the sovereignty of God. In the first part of John 11 we saw that Jesus finds out that his dearly loved friend Lazarus has fallen ill. He's fallen sick, he's fallen deathly ill, and he finds this out because Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sis, um, sisters, send messengers to him. And instead of going to his aid, instead of going to his side, or even instead of commanding a miracle be done on the spot, we read in John chapter 11, verse 6, we see that Jesus, instead of going, he stays where he was. He delays going to see his friend Lazarus. And by the end, we saw that Lazarus is indeed dead. He has died from this illness. And we saw, as we looked at John 11, that this was not because of a lack of love or care for his friend, but Jesus, being the Son of God, knows the end of all things and is working all things according to his will and that this was ordained for his own glory. We saw that in verse 4, so that the Son of God may be glorified through this. And so today we'll see our Lord not only gives Mary and Martha and all believers the only comfort that they can have in the face of suffering and death, but he also reveals his identity, his role as the Messiah, his person and work as the last and second Adam, and he declares this morning in these great words, I am the resurrection and the life that sin and death, the great enemy of all of us, has been conquered, and there is only one way to escape the grasp of death and of sin, and that is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read our passage this morning. I'll pray for us, and then we'll look at this passage of God's Word. Hear now the reading of God's inspired and infallible Word. Verse 17. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I and the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would write it upon our hearts this morning, that you would help us to see Christ more clearly, that we might come to find our faith and rest on him alone. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I think for many of us in this room, maybe recently or in the last year, have experienced The suffering of death. Maybe it was the death of a loved one. Maybe it was a miscarriage. Maybe it was an illness that took someone prematurely. Maybe it was the tragic loss of someone that we love dearly. But many of us in this room have experienced the suffering of death. And in these first couple verses that we see this morning in our passage, we see that it's no different. For Mary and for Martha. They too are experiencing the pain and suffering of losing a loved one. The pain and suffering of losing someone they loved. Lazarus was no random stranger, he was their dear brother. They loved him, they cared for him, he was family. They spent time with him, they loved him very dearly, and we see that he is now dead. He has been in the tomb four days. They would have buried him on the day he died. So he's been dead for four days. And we see that this is a time of mourning, a time of grieving, a time of tears, a time of sorrow. We read in verse 19 that many came to console them. This was a Jewish tradition to come and mourn. There was usually a time of mourning, a more intense time of mourning for seven days, sometimes even a time of mourning of up to 30 days where people would come and mourn with those who had lost someone. We see that death is difficult. It is trying. Losing a loved one is a painful thing. We read in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time to mourn and a time to weep. We are called as Christians to mourn with those who mourn. Sadly, I think this is something that we've lost in our day, this ability to mourn with those who mourn. We either have kind of an attitude of ignoring that someone has lost someone or neglecting them, or we tend to think that we just need to make them happy. That's the best thing we can do for them is to just make them happy. But we see and we're called in Scripture to mourn with those that mourn. And we see our Lord does this very thing. He comes to Mary and to Martha to comfort them in their time of mourning. He comes to mourn with them, the, La- the sisters of Lazarus. And we see in the next passage that he even comes to weep with those who weep. But we see in verses 20 and 22 That even though Martha is glad to see our Lord, she's glad to welcome him and be present with him, her words reveal that there is also frustration that is mixed with unbelief. We read in verse 21 she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if you would have shown up, this wouldn't have happened. If you would have been present, if you would have been here, things would have been different. And I think this response is often a lot like our response in times of suffering or trial or death. It is belief mixed with unbelief. Trusting in Christ mixed with a sense of unbelief. We see Martha believes in our Lord. She's not an atheist. She's not rejecting all that Christ is. She knows that he is Lord. She calls him Lord. She knows he's powerful. And she acknowledges that. She says, if you would have been here, things would have been different. She knows that he is powerful. She knows that he is able to do all things. But it is mixed with this sense of unbelief. Doubt in the wisdom and the providence of God I don't understand why. Why are things this way? And how often do we feel like this? I don't understand this suffering. I don't understand why this happened. Lord, why? But we see that even in her doubt, even in her unbelief, she trusts that Jesus knows what is best. And she acknowledges this in verse 22. And we see that Jesus understands this. He knows her weakness. He knows her frailty. He knows our frailty. And he says, and he comes to her in verse 23, bringing her words of comfort and care during this time. He says in verse 23, Martha, your brother, will rise again. These are very pastoral words from our Lord, very caring words. He is reassuring her of the truth that her brother, will indeed rise again. But we see in verse 24, Martha doesn't really understand what Jesus is saying or the higher truth that he is pointing to her. And we see this in her response when she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's as if if she's sort of saying, I know about the bodily resurrection, Jesus. I know that doctrine, right? I know that truth. I know that. I know that at the end of all things, on the last day, the dead will be raised. The judgment will be of the just and the unjust men and angels. I know about your teaching that you taught in the other Gospels where you said God is the God of the living. I know about the resurrection, Jesus. I know that the souls of those that have died will be united to their bodies. I know this doctrine. I know this truth. I know this. And so she confesses the truth, and in a sense, she gets the right answer. She knows the answer. She knows the doctrine. She knows the theology. But she's misunderstood the foundation of her hope. And she's misunderstood the one that is standing right in front of her. And so Jesus, knowing her greatest need, not only points her to the hope of the resurrection as future glory, But he points her to himself as the spring of present grace and life. And he turns to her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He points her, not to a doctrine, but to himself as the only spring of present grace and future glory. He says... I am the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. There's no resurrection apart from Him. He points out two things. Namely, one, there's no resurrection apart from His saving work and power. This is not some abstract idea like resurrections over here, and we can sort of abstract it and separate it from Christ. As God, He is able to raise men from the dead. He is able to bring life where there was only death. He did this in the creation of the world, right? He breathed life into the dust, creating life where there was no life. And how much more does he do this in the work of new creation in bringing life where there was only death? Not only physically doing this, but spiritually, Paul says in Ephesians 2, even while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God made us alive. (laughs) Out of death, life. This is resurrection language. This is new creation language, bringing life to sin sick souls. This is his work as the infinite God. But as man, as the incarnate Son of God, as the last Adam, Jesus Christ is the grounds and pledge of our resurrection, of the believer's resurrection from the grave, Not only because he merited our resurrection, not only because he earned it in his perfect life and obedience, but in his very death, he defeated death. In his very death, he defeated death, rising from the grave bodily. And as we read this morning, he is the first fruits of our resurrection. He is the author of it. And so just as there is no resurrection apart from Christ, Jesus is pointing out that there's no life apart from Christ when He says, I am the resurrection and the life. There is no life apart from Him, no eternal, everlasting life apart from union with Him. As Creator, He is the sustainer and source of life, but as Redeemer, He is the giver of eternal, everlasting life at God's right hand. This eternal, unchanging communion with the God of the universe that was promised to Adam in the garden, as we've talked about, in the covenant of works. It was held out for him upon his obedience. It was lost in the fall into sin, and it has been earned by our Savior, and he now gives it to his people as a gift in the covenant of grace. And this is why he can say what he says in verses 25 and 26. Because he turns to Martha, he doesn't only say, I am the resurrection and the life, but he explains what this means because he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die that the one who believes in Christ, even though his body will die, yet his soul will never taste death eternally. And for the one that has trusted in Christ, even while he lives, death has no power over him ultimately." That for the believer, because he's been united to Christ, we read about this in Romans 6, he's been united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, even though we will all experience death in this life, our bodies will see corruption in the grave, they will not experience the sting of death. They will not experience the pain of death in the life to come. And in fact, for the Christian to die is called in Scripture a type of resurrection. John, in the book of Revelation, calls this the first resurrection. And so this is what Mary has misunderstood. This is what Mary has not understood properly. She has not understood what our Lord is saying. Not only has she tried to separate resurrection from the person of Christ and sort of abstract it as a separate idea, but she has failed to see that for the believer, for her brother, for Lazarus, to die is not the end of our existence, but the beginning of life at God's right hand. It is passage from this life to the next entrance into God's presence perfect communion with him without sin because of the work of Christ and the eternal life that only he can bring as Paul will say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord that the death of a believer or anyone for that matter, is not the ceasing of our existence. We don't believe in annihilationism, this idea that once you die, there's nothing. That's kind of what the world thinks about death. Well, you die and there's nothing after that. No. Death is not the ceasing of our existence. Nor is it this sort of soul sleep where we just kind of don't remember anything until the last day. Nor is there anything that's called purgatory where we're needed to purge of our sins that are remaining in us. No. No. Death is the separation of our soul from our body, but it is not the ceasing of our existence. And as we read this morning in our confession of faith, for those that die in their sins, death is torment and anguish. But for the believer, it is life and joy and peace in the presence of God. And this is what John will call in the book of Revelation, the first resurrection, The first resurrection in John chapter and Revelation 20, verse 6, he says, Blessed is the one who shares in the first resurrection over which the second death has no power. What does John mean here? What is this? How is this relevant to what we're talking about? This first resurrection in the book of Revelation is not one in a series of many, like there's going to be multiple resurrections, it is rather a paradoxical metaphor for the death of believers. That for the believer to die is actually life. For the believer, death is a type of resurrection because it is entrance into the presence of God. This is why Jesus can say what he says, Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. What does Jesus say in John chapter 5, verse 24? Whoever believes in me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This judgment has already passed for the believer and they have passed from death to life. This work of resurrection has begun in our very souls and it will be consummated at the end of all things. And this is the comfort that our Lord is bringing to Martha in the face of suffering and death. Spoiler alert, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to do that at the end of this chapter. Why doesn't he do it right here? Why doesn't he say, all your pain is gone, here's your brother? It is essential that he point them to the higher truth, Lazarus is going to die again. He's going to be raised from the grave, but he is going to die again. The point is not that they have their brother back. That would be to fall short of the point of what Jesus is doing. The point is to show them who Christ is, that he is the resurrection and the life. It's not found in this miracle. It is found in the person and work of Christ. And so we can say all those that have died in Christ, including Lazarus, experience this joyous first resurrection, and they now await the coming second bodily resurrection. Souls united to their bodies, made new in resurrection power, free from the curse of sin and death, all because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who conquered death in His resurrection Purchased and secured redemption by His perfect life. This is the hope of Mary and Martha in the face of their suffering. And this is our hope this morning. And to kind of draw a conclusion to this, because of this hope, Christ changes how you and I think about suffering and about death. Three things to reflect upon this morning. The first is this. That death for the believer is not unto condemnation, but is a passage from this life to the next. Death for the believer is not unto condemnation, but is passage from this life to the next. Our catechism says, if we have been raised with Christ, if we have life with Christ, if he died for our sins, why do we still have to die? And the answer is, we die not as a purging of our sins but as a purifying us from our sins and being made into the presence of God that even though we will all die death for the believer is not something to fear death for the believer is not something to fear for the one that is united to Christ death is not the penalty for our sin it is passage into God's safe presence our souls will be present with the Lord. This changes how we think about death. And this is why it's also important that we not separate the truths of the Word from the person and work of Christ. We can't separate doctrine from devotion. We can't separate faith from practice. We can't separate orthodoxy from orthopraxy. We can't separate theology from who Christ is. That's kind of what Martha was doing a little bit. She says, I know about the resurrection. I know he's going to rise again. But she failed to see the Christ that was standing right in front of her. Many people can say they believe in a certain doctrine. Many people can say, I believe in the resurrection. They can recite the Apostles' Creed. They can know the catechism answers. They can know what the confession has to say. But it is another thing entirely to put your saving trust in the one who is the resurrection and the life. It's one thing to confess something. It's another thing to find your only hope and faith in that one who provides eternal resurrection life for his people. So this also changes how we think about death. But thirdly and finally, this, rech- this changes our response in the face of suffering. This changes our response in the face of suffering, because I think if we're honest with ourselves for a couple minutes, we often think and respond like Martha. Mary will say the same thing in just a couple verses. We'll look at that next week. We say the same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, something would have been different. If you would have showed up, if you would have done this or that thing, this would not have happened. And while I think there are sort of innocent ways of asking questions of God, pouring out our hearts and souls to Him in humble reliance upon Him, there are also ways of seeking to peer into the unknown, unrevealed will and knowledge of God. And this, I think, exposes our unbelief, our untrust in the God of the universe, There's ways of accusing God and even blaming Him for our pain and suffering. This is kind of what Job does in the last part of the book of Job. If you've read the book of Job, all these sufferings happen to Job. He loses his family and his friends. And in the beginning, it says that Job did not sin in all that he did. He said, the Lord is given and the Lord is taken away. But if you look at the end of the book of Job, in Job 31, you see that he begins to question God and demand answers from him. He says, answer me, O almighty one, answer me. I need to know why this is happening. And we see our Lord responds to Job out of a whirlwind. And what he says to Job is this, where were you when I created the foundations of the world? Where were you? Where were you when I set the boundaries of the sea? Were you there? Are you the one that causes the morning to rise? And the answer to those questions is, I'm not, I was not there. I did not exist. I did not cause the morning to be. I did not lay the foundations of the earth. Job had forgotten that he was the creature, and he was speaking to the Creator, He had forgotten that he was dust. He really had forgotten that he was not God. (laughs) And how often do we forget the same? And by the end of the book in Job 42, Job confesses, he repents, and he says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand Things which I did not know. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. So, how much more in our suffering should we remember and trust in God's sovereignty, right? That He is in control of all things. Martha forgot that. We forget that. And in the face of suffering, we are called to trust in and believe that God is good and He will work all things for His glory. But in the words of Christ, we have even more comfort in the face of not only life, but in the face of death, that he himself is the resurrection and the life. There's no resurrection in life apart from him. He has conquered our great enemies of Satan, sin, and death by his life, his death, and his resurrection. He's conquered our enemies. There's nothing that stands against the people of God. He has made a way for us who were dead in our sins to have life with Him forever, never tasting death. And on the last day, we read that He will raise us by His resurrection power in bodies that are imperishable, free from sin and death, that we might bear the image of the man of heaven and live with Him forever. And it shall come to pass that which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ has conquered death by his resurrection, he will raise us again. And even though we all face death, we need not fear it, because death for the Christian is presence in the presence of God and hope of the bodily resurrection to come on the last day. That's our hope. That's what we look forward to. And we can trust and know that Christ has done it, and we, it is secure. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, that even in the face of our own suffering and possibly in the face of our own death, we have a sure and steadfast anchor this morning, that we need not fear the, the death of us, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that Christ has come to defeat and reverse the curse of sin, and suffering, and death, and that in Him we have hope in the eternal state, in the consummation of all things, where those that have died in Christ will be united to their resurrection bodies, made glorious, the perishable will put on the imperishable, the mortal will put on immortality, and we will reign with you forever. That is the hope of us in Christ and we pray this morning that we would look to Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. There's no resurrection, there's no life apart from Him. And even though we will die, yet we will live eternally with you forever. Help us to trust in these things this morning. It is difficult often in the face of trials to do this. Give us faith in your precious and very great promise. promises. And point us to the work of Christ this morning, we pray. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.